Hello, everybody, and welcome along to another Total Italian Football podcast brought to you by the team at total-italianfootball.com to talk about match day eight of this 23-24 Serie A season. It's been a good match day. There's been a couple of big games, most notably, I would say, the Derby della Mole. I always like that as a fixture, even though it always ends one way, quite disappointingly. But I've got a few friends here to talk through all of the weekend's action with me. The first is Vito Doria. Vito, good morning where you are. Hello, how are you keeping? Yeah, I'm keeping well and we changed the times a bit early in Australia, so it makes the difference for me. I feel a bit more refreshed than usual. (laughs) This is that difficult time of year when it comes to planning things though, isn't it? There's that horrible like five-week period where you've changed your times, we've not quite changed them yet and we're kind of waiting to to realign in a way we've also mm. got a boy who was sick but he claims to be better but he still doesn't sound very good listeners it's you and burns hello no yes that's, you don't sound <laughs> that bad <laughs> no i am better I, I may not sound it but i don't feel horrible whereas i did feel horrible so that's good all around um vito if your times have changed that means that we're gonna have to keep an eye on the americans with our previews and stuff i've already they checked that. they are a week after us so we're okay for now Right. I have no idea when we do it. That that sort of thing just it appears one day somebody mentions it and then you then you've got it in your head. Don't worry, I've put a little note to remind everybody of that when it's (laughs) time, but we'll change before they do, so we'll be all right. Um we've got to talk about Sadia, don't we? I've had a busy weekend, guys. Nobody asks nobody ever asks how I am. Vito does every once in a while. Burns, you never do because you're rude. I do sometimes. When you're hosting doesn't count no and occasionally <laughs> just sometimes <laughs> i occasionally make a point of it but i just decided not to the fact you have to make a point of it says a lot though, <laughs> it? um match day eight it was we could describe it as a fun round i think couldn't we basically because of what happened in one of the matches <laughs> but let's go through the results and then we'll go through the games one by one. First off friday night had two games two draws Empoli Udinese was nil nil, obviously, and then Lecce Sassuolo finished one one down in Salento. On Saturday is where most of the fun happened because Inter threw away a lead to draw two two at home to Bologna. Juventus beat Torino two nil in the Derby della Mola, which I think is their nineteenth um, straight derby without falling to defeat against Toro. And then Olivier Giroud ended the game in goal as Milan beat Genoa 1-0 at Marassi. And Genoa's goalkeeper was also sent off late on. That was a lovely end to a football match. On Sunday, we had Monza beat Salernitana 3-0. Maybe it's time to start worrying about Salernitana. We might get into that a little bit. Lazio got a big 3-2 win over Atalanta. Just a bizarre team, Lazio. They've not been great this season and they've beaten Atalanta and Napoli this season. Um, Frozenoni beat Verona 2-1. Roma scored four goals. Ewan, Romelu Lukaku got two of them, but they beat Cagliari 4-1. And then Napoli lost 3-1 at home to Fiorentina to end the weekend's action. Of course, we are coming into an international break now. So that does mean, unless you are signed up for €2, €5, or €10 a month on patreon.com slash football, you won't be hearing from us for another couple of weeks. But if you do sign up, you will get podcast reactions to Italy's games in the Nations League. You will also get the Serie A Femminile podcast that we do weekly as well, the women's football podcast, that is. Burnsy and I will be recording that. About 24 hours, 
within 24 hours of you listening to this, that will be available. So you can sign up for just two euro a month. And just a reminder, because we've had a few people asking us lately, if you are trying to work out where to find the free podcast, just search for the Total Italian Football Podcast in your podcast apps and you should be able to find it. Anyway, I think we should start where all of the action finished. And Vito, I'm aware that you're just waking up into your day. So I will start with Bernsey for this and then I'll come to you with another question on the game. But Ewan, Napoli lost 3-1 at home to Fiorentina. Victor Ossiman was taken off when Napoli desperately needed a goal, having scored a penalty and been relatively dangerous in the first half as well. It's another disappointing result for the Parthenope. It's more evidence that they're not going to win the title, I think, this year, even at this early stage. And the pressure is very much on Rudy Garcia already. Yeah, it is, because with this game, it wasn't it wasn't really like there was one specific moment you could go, oh, that's where it turned against Napoli, or that's where the injustice was, or something like that. They they were just beaten. Like, Fiorentina were just more clinical than them. And... You know, Napoli had their chance. It was a very open game. It was a very fast game of football. It was it was a lot of fun, but it was it, none of it. None of it felt shocking, and that feels really weird to say when we're what eight games in, and when you consider what they did last season, um, it didn't feel shocking that they ended up losing three one when it was at one all. It was obvious that the game would not end one all, and there was a sort of a feeling it could go either way. But the fact that it went Fiorentina's way wasn't. A surprise, and that you know, you mentioned that substitution. He'll be asked about that a lot, um, and perhaps once we move on, I'll start trying to see if there are any quotes yet. If he's been asked after the game, somebody must have asked him because Osman didn't look injured. No, he's human. Yeah, well, but then he looked quite calm when he went off. I don't know I, if something else happened. I interpreted but... that as the calmness of a man who's seething. You know, and he's just... Yeah, it may well have been, but there, there was certainly no visual anger, um, you know, wild arms or anything like that. Um, so it all just looked a bit odd. the goal, he did throw his mask down into the ground and he was, like, shouting things. Mm. Well, um, what, what what's kind of odd, and I've, I've written about this a little bit that will go on total-football.com, is that, you know, the game plan for Napoli largely throughout the game and most of the time is get the ball to Ozzyman close to or in the box. And that sounds simplistic, and it is fairly simplistic, but that's fine because he's that good that that's an effective game plan. It's, it's one that most people can't deal with. They, That's what they carried on doing after taking him off. It's like, well, you, you don't have that presence anymore. You, you've, you've got to do something different. They kept putting, you know, you've got someone like Di Lorenzo, he's going to keep putting brilliant crosses in. But, you know, Giovanni Simeone's not as good as Victor Ozzyman. Raspadori's not got anywhere near that level of presence. He's not going to get to that sort of cross. It it just seemed very misguided. Like, it's the international break. What, you're not saving him for anything. Yeah. So, what are you doing? I did find it quite odd, but I, I'm trying to rack my brains. I can't check, but there was another game relatively recently. It might even have been the Bologna one, but I feel like it was before that where Osiman was taken off and he looked quite visibly annoyed at and I think it's fine if a player is annoyed to be taken off because they don't necessarily want to come off, especially when it's a player who can make a difference like Ostiman. But sometimes you see it and you think he looks, he doesn't look annoyed that he's coming off. He looks annoyed that the manager's taking him off, you know, and the, the a, a slight little difference there. But I just, 
Vito, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Victor Ossiman, if we're talking about strikers, is one of the top three in the world at the moment. I'd probably put him with, well, Haaland, obviously. And then I guess it's either Julian Alvarez or Harry Kane as the other one there, probably. But if you need a goal, you don't take him off. No, not a chance. The only way you take him off is if he's really in pain, that he's suffered some sort of injury or just some... Even a niggle, you'd still take the risk on keeping him on, but it would have to be a serious injury in my view because when Ossiman's in full flight, you know, he's very hard to tackle. And just if you're going to try and get into a physical battle with him, you've got little chance of winning it because he's just so strong. And uh, I think also, as you guys mentioned before, that sort of predictability about the game plan, uh, Garcia needs to take uh, blame for that because if you haven't got Osimhen on the field, you've got to change your approach. Like you, like Bernsey mentioned, uh, Simeone doesn't have that same sort of presence. You know, he's a guy that works his socks off, so you've got to perhaps just keep the ball on the ground. You can't send in those aerial balls into the box for someone of Osimhen's stature and physique to just head the ball in. You've got to play differently. And Raspadori, because he's more diminutive compared to the two, you've got to keep the ball on the ground, you know, try and uh, play little triangles or something like that. But uh, Osimhen, um, you know, keep him on the ground as long as you can because you're going to you're gonna guarantee yourself at least a goal or two. I put out a little poll just out of curiosity with a short shelf life. I only put it up for an hour because I was aware that we were coming on to do this podcast. But I've been thinking for a while that Rudy Garcia is not going to see Christmas. So I put up a poll just to say, will Rudy Garcia be Napoli coach at the end of 2023? And 9% of people think he will be. <laughs> like, I didn't expect it to be that extreme a response. It's not, it's not a massive mandate, is it? Um, yeah, that is low. <laughs> I'm. I don't know if I'm quite in the camp that he'll be gone as soon as that. Only because you know you look at the, this this result. You know they're they're in fifth now. Um, like I think the 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 version of events in my head of what Napoli are doing right now is is probably worse than what the table actually looks like. I think the the fear for them really is that if they want to win the league, I think they probably do have to pull the trigger, as it were, quite quite swiftly. But I think it's one of the, it, it could be construed as a little bit harsh if it were to be in like the next two three weeks. So, uh, I I'm not sure. I just right. I get what you're saying. But because it's Rudy Garcia, my opinion is clouded because I just don't rate him. I thought it was a horrific mm. appointment when they brought him in. And I thought it was quite funny, actually, Vito, that tonight's loss came against a man that they probably should have hired in this place. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's that sort of twist of irony, I suppose, that you know, uh, Vincenzo Italiano probably would have been a more ideal candidate to replace Garcia. And uh, in some respects, you know, I do think that with his style of coaching, Italiano could have either improved on what Spalletti had or at the very least added something a bit more different. Although I've said at the start of the season that 
at least Garcia's record in European competitions is better than Spalletti's. But I think in general, just with his coaching style, he does seem a bit limited to Spal- in comparison to Spalletti or even to an Italiano. I think it's a matter of get the players right, make sure they play the pure roles and that's it. But if plan A goes wrong, he doesn't seem to have a plan B in place. Can we stop the nonsense now and start talking about why the, the reason everybody's listening to this podcast, you and you ready? Absolutely. Olivier Giroud went in goal. He went <laughs> in goal. And this was just brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, Genoa Milan wasn't exactly a thriller. I very much had less than half an eye on this because I was on duty elsewhere work, reporting on um, Serie Femenile games. But it all just got a bit mad at the end, didn't it? Like, Milan started with quite a second string team. Liao, Pulisic, Calabria, Giroud all came off the bench. And then it was a, a USMNT special that got them the goal with Yunus Musa teeing up Pulisic for that. Then Mike Mignon got sent off. Giroud ended up in goal. And then it just, it all went a little bit wild, Ewan. But this is very much the stuff we're here for. It is. From, from a selfish perspective, I'm annoyed about this because I, I moaned about this in the group chat. I, I had this game on where I wasn't at home. I was at somebody's... Um, birthday thing but people were getting ready we were just playing cards and we had it on in the background until about the 80th minute nothing happened in those 80 minutes and I mean nothing it, it was a real rotter um then we left and then about half an hour later I got a shed load of messages <laughs> come through <laughs> it sounded like yeah. the most entertaining thing <laughs> of the whole season had happened <laughs> straight straight after we left um the, the images of Giroud in, in goal are absolutely wonderful. And, and it's always even more fun in those situations where, you know, yes, an outfield player's gone in goal and it's that's funny in itself. But then you get to see they actually do a save. They, they, <laughs> not only a save, yeah. but a double save. It's really, and you know, it looks bizarre because even though it, you know, it was a fact, he, he did the job, but it looked weird. Um, it is I, funny I actually, when non-outfield players do goal, try to do goalkeeping. It, it makes you respect goalies, doesn't yeah. it? Bad goalkeepers are yeah. amazing. But um I actually said to I think I said to Rihanna this morning when I when I caught up with the highlights of it, um I kind of said, you know, all the money and in air quotes sophistication in football, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the the systems, there's so much going on. But when this sort of thing happens, when you just see Giroud just putting on a goalie shirt with another man's name on the and back. And the outfield shorts and soft yeah. as well. Like, I showed it to her because I kind of thought she's probably never seen this before. And I was like, you know, he just he just puts his mate's top on and his gloves and just goes in goal. It's, it all just gets really reduced down to exactly what you would do as a kid, basically. It's great because also no team, right, uh, oh, actually, I'll caveat that. No team other than Manchester City knows how to deal with that situation. So I had the <laughs> the absolute pleasure of being at that Champions League game where City had to take Ederson off in the first half and then Claudio Bravo got sent off. So Kyle Walker went in goal. I was at the San Siro for that. And everybody just at the same time had that moment of realisation where there's no other goalkeeper on the bench. <laughs> We've still got a fair few minutes of football left here. And Ruslan Malinovsky and Luis Muriel were both on the pitch. So everyone was thinking... Yes, this is what football is Kick all about. It at that man. <laughs> but then City just didn't 
lose the ball. Like mm. <laughs> they kept the ball for about fifteen minutes, and they so kept boring. it in the far corner of the pitch. It was incredible, and no other team could do that. And you do get the panic, don't you? And then there's also that feeling in the in the stands when when the ball goes anywhere near the box. Is that extra like, oh, it's not a goalkeeper in the goal? And they, I think Genoa had the dream scenario, didn't they? They had a free kick on the edge of the box to start the whole thing. And it came to nothing. And Chiru did make that save. And when I first saw it, I thought, he's done very well there. And then the replay didn't do him any favours because the way he comes out, it's very like... So not- chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... I, I also... The other thing that popped into my head is I'd love to know if if teams have... If, it, if it's already a known thing of like, oh, that's... You're you're the the outfield player that would go in goal in one of these mad scenarios. You're known because like when when you play Sunday League or something, there's always an outfield player that everyone knows is actually quite handy in goal, but they're better outfield, so they don't get used in goal. Um, I'd love to know if that is Giroud or if it's just that he's you know one of the leaders in the team and he just went, yeah, I'll do it. I'm. I suppose you're going to pick someone tall, aren't you? Yeah. If you've got the option, but apart from that, is it just random? <laughs> is it just, you yeah, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> they have a few in mind, but then there's every chance that they're not going to be on the pitch because you don't got a plan. You don't make substitutes. The, yeah, you can't fully have a plan for pitch, that. But I remember around this time, um, Atalanta players got asked like, "What would we do?" And Papu said, "I'll go and go. I go and go and train and all the time." I remember my first thought thinking, "You're one of the shortest players in Serie A. Yeah, I do not want that four. to happen." And then they started posting videos of Papu pulling off world-class saves in training. And I thought, you know what? I'd have him ahead of Marcos Fortiello, to be honest with you, who's going to have to play against Juventus now for, for Milan, which is interesting. But Vito... Unless they put the, Giroud in. Yeah, they might well. They might well. But put big Marco up front, are you saying? Um, Vito, what do you think of this? I'm good at the Kev's not here to discuss this, but we got... I say we, all of the press in the world, I imagine, got an email from Milan this afternoon saying, Last night, Olivier Giroud became part of Milan history by courageously defending the AC Milan goal in the final minutes of the Rossoneri's match against Genoa. The club has decided to honour his performance in its last line of defence by putting him in the list of goalkeepers. I think that's offensive to your striker, actually. And additionally, Milan fans can now purchase the goalkeeper jersey and customise it with Giroud 9 at the checkout. Uh, like you just mentioned you're probably lucky that Kev is not on because oh he would have a moan about that whole concept (laughs) but I think it's just a case of you know money talks you know if it sells uh, you know reaping the profits I I see why they're doing it I do want to have a couple of conversations and ask a couple of questions to anybody who actually buys the goalkeeper shirt with Giroud on the back because it's you think it's funny now it's not going to hold up the test of time. It's not going to stand the test of time, that little joke, is it? Um, but anyway, Milan got the win, Ewan, and that is ultimately all that matters, particularly in a potentially tricky away venue like Marassi, and particularly with Pioli having made a fair few changes. Yeah, yeah, he rotated it quite a lot, and that's kind of in their whole thing at the start of the season, is can they can they rotate and still win games, basically, because last season they just couldn't. Um, I mean, for a large part of it, they couldn't win games with their first strength team as well. Um, but you know, yes, they got the points. It wasn't a good performance by any means, and that yeah, you know, there will still be concerns and things to learn. But I think the the biggest thing here for Milan that I'd be happy with 
from their perspective is that they watched into drop points earlier in the day mm. and you know particularly for one of the websites I work for I've I've noticed that in in the club specific press for these two teams everything is a derby of some description like they they all all the phrases are coming up basically they decided it's Inter versus Milan for the title oh okay and um they they're using phrases like the the long range derby and or, you know the like these are clumsily translated phrases but okay. basically the idea that everything is a derby now in a distant sense <laughs> so absolutely everything that either does is used in a head to head comparison with the other yeah, because it's it's going to be a, a, a derby title race, basically. Are people not? They've just they've just just ignored Juventus, basically. I was going to say, are, are um, they just discounting Juve? Well, like I say, it's just a, it just seems to be a general rhetoric that seems to be quite popular at the minute. Um, and you know, they went into this game knowing Inter drop points and they would go top if they won. Um, and the fact that they did manage to get the points there there is a psychological boost to that, and it suggests that they're not. Weak little men. So I think, well done to them. I think you've been quite generous to use the word drop because Vito, I think Inter absolutely threw away these points. They were 2 0 up against Bologna at home inside 13 minutes. It looked like we were going to see a repeat of the recent six ones. I think there's been two of those, hasn't there, in the last couple of seasons? But in the end, Orsolini and Zirkse scored. Bologna came back, finished 2 2, and Inter just remain a slightly funny team. It does have that so-called Pazza Inter vibe about it because the way they played in the first 15 minutes, it looks like they were just going to annihilate Bologna. However, uh, Lautaro Martinez did something a bit out of character by you know, fouling Lewis Ferguson. And once Sorcellini converted that penalty, that changed the momentum of the game. It did change the momentum of the game. It was nice to see Ferguson again with the captain's armband. I, I don't know why... There's just something about that that I love so much. Just seeing this fellow who's rocked up at the Dalara, he when he when he opens his mouth and speaks, he sounds like he's lost. And then he's just captain of Bologna and they love him and he's playing really well. He's in our team of the week this week as well. Like he's been a really, really good signing, and I think Bologna should have some sort of obligation to always have a Scottish player in their team now after mm-hmm. first Hickey did so well. Now Ferguson's doing so well. Who's the next going to be, Bernsey? Don't answer that question. Uh, I will. I reckon it'll be Josh Doig. Because oh, I think they did actually want him, didn't they, in the summer? Yeah, he'll, he'll leave Verona and go there. Because it's clearly a launching pad for Scottish footballers. I would, which makes complete sense. I would also be very pleased about that because behind the scenes, I've been trying to speak to Josh Doig, and he has told me that he's happy to speak to me, but Verona are impossible to deal with. So <laughs> Bologna are considerably more approachable, so I would much prefer him to be here in Emilia-Romagna. And as I was telling Alibai in our WhatsApp group over the weekend, Bernsey, it is the superior region of all of the northern regions in Italy, which he was quite Yeah, he didn't about. like that. He didn't like that, did he? But I mean... <laughs> didn't, didn't sit right at all. It's facts, isn't it? <laughs> what you... it's not for me to say I laid out the facts there for him and he had no comeback so he just slagged off the landscape and had a pop at Man United <laughs> as well yeah he did which doesn't concern <laughs> me in the slightest Vito it definitely has the best food right in the north yes I I prefer Pugliese Pugliese food's mm, my favourite yeah. 
Yeah, I should have elaborated. Yeah, in the north, Emilia-Romagna is second to none when it comes to food. Absolutely right. There you go, Ali. I take that. Add that to the list I sent you. Um, (laughs) Who's he going to slag? Oh, he'll probably have a pop at Liverpool just to offend Kev because he can't offend me. (laughs) Has he he ever spoken to Kev? I I can't think of them two ever crossing over. Would be shocked. (laughs) Speaking of Kev, he's just sent us a message as we are recording this podcast. But anyway, I think we should move on. Do we have anything to say about Inter? Can we just... Can we just skip on from that? I think we can skip on from that because there was a derby. It was the Derby della Mole and Juventus just owned this derby now, Vito. Yeah, and based on the commentary I was, uh, you know, listening to, it does feel like that uh, it's more of a derby for Torino because for them, it's probably a bit more prestigious considering that over the last, you know, let's say 70 years or so, they have struggled for significance or to win trophies. Whereas for Juve, because they've been such a dominant force over the years, the Turin derby is now just a routine game for them. And uh, the gap in general is often a lot, just you know, in terms of the financial power and the quality of the squad. But you go there on the day, it really feels like the Granata are overwhelmed by Juve. And for Juve, it's really just business as usual. And they just got the job done with those goals from Federico Gatti and Arkadio Schmilik. Yeah, Gatti, Vito, getting his first Serie A goal. I mean, put a big fat asterisk beside that because he did score for Sassuolo a couple of weeks ago. But it's good to see him getting off the mark because I do think he's he's quite easily to, to he's quite easy to slag off, rather, given that he, he came from Serie B. It was quite a big leap into the Juventus team. But all in all, I think he's done quite a solid job. I think he's done. I agree with that sentiment. Uh, he scored a few goals in the Europa League last season, and he deserved to score a goal here. Not only that, I think in general he deserves to play more. He has been looked at for the Italian team, and he is in the latest Italian squad for the Euro 2024 qualifiers against Malta and England. And I think with more time at there, I think there's... Uh, a possibility that he should be a starting defender for Italy as well, because, you know, without going too far off topic, I just do not rate Gianluca Mancini as a Azzurri defender whatsoever. I think I saw somebody point out that um, Gatti has scored in Serie D, G, B and Oh, lovely. Um, which is always a nice thing. For um, a defender as well, it's kind of better. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. When when footballers just have that slightly different route to to the promised land, as he's now in. So um, he's not playing in the Premier League. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I feel like I should defend myself in some way, even though I simply haven't the energy. <laughs> a bit more of a generalised uh, comment in regards to Gatti. It's, it's a bit interesting because I was actually having a chat with a few friends online and we were recently talking about Guglielmo Vicario, that he was up the divisions, he did well at Empoli, and now he's keeping goal for Spurs in the Premier League who are now on top of the table. And he's had quite the rise too. And now with Gatti, he's had a similar trajectory. I think it goes to show, especially with Italian footballers, the ones who have had to work the hard yards to climb up through the divisions, they seem to be more determined to succeed or become better players. 
Whereas, unfortunately, I think in the last 10, 20 years, we've seen a lot of these prodigies from the big youth teams or the youth teams of the big clubs and the hype either gets to their heads or they just take the wrong path and they don't develop into the place that they can be. Does that not possibly go hand in hand with the, I say idea, I think it's pretty much a fact, that Italian top flight clubs are much less likely to give teenagers genuine chances in the first team so they end up they end up leaving to a lower division in order to actually play football and then end up rising through that way anyway whereas it's it's quite you know you look at someone like it's maybe an extreme example but like Lamine Yamal at Barcelona he's 16 but they've just let him I would <laughs> just say let him play loads if we're gonna have this as a debate Barcelona need to be like an outlier because they're a complete I know what you mean but it's just a lot more common in other leagues that teenagers get to play get, can can become a really important part of a team in in quite a sudden manner i think we just see it a lot less in syria yeah i think it that's another factor too it's a bit of a cultural thing unfortunately that there is this general mistrust of youngsters especially in Serie R teams and in some cases these youngsters have to drop down to Serie b and uh, uh, work the hard yards you know some some players you know we see with Patrick Cutroni who was at AC Milan now he's he's at Como so he's his level but some mm. kids they might have just a year or two in Serie B and then when they come up to Serie A they're actually good players so it sometimes depends on the individual the environment and also how that player is coached or developed but yeah, it just seems to be that thing in Italy that you know a lot of young ones especially from the big clubs, they don't really work out. Whereas you'll get this guy who probably started in the amateurs. He he works his socks off. And then once he does reach Serie A in his mid-20s, he's fantastic. I do think this is one of those things. that and There are many within Italian football that are very representative of Italian society. And it's quite an odd thing here. And it's been, it's something that is still quite striking to me, even though I've been here for five years now. But if you think about a young person at home, you're kind of thinking like under 23, right? And then once you're over 23, you're not really a young person anymore. People still call me a young person, even though they know I'm turning 30 this year. Like there's there's people I know who are 35 who are still considered young. And I, I can't, I like that very much, but I can't quite click into that way of thinking yet. If I think young, it's like below 25. So it's it's slightly odd. So in the eyes of people who think 30-year-olds are still, like, young adults, um, which they are, but it's just not the way we think about them. Um, That's the living with your mum till you're 45 possibly, culture sort of thing, isn't possibly. it? It, 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 all, it all ties in. <laughs> yeah, quite probably. But I think we should probably move on to... Well, we need to go to one of the Roman clubs, and for obvious reasons, I'm going to start with the other one. You uh, and Roma went away to Cagliari and won 4-1. Romelu Lukaku scored twice again. Andrea Bellotti scored a Serie A goal as we were hoping he would do when we did the, the bonus podcast over on patreon.com slash football during the week. But it wasn't all good news, was it? Because Paolo Dybala went off in the 40th minute and I didn't see this because I was out at a game, but I saw someone say he was in tears. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the win, I feel like no. even though I had... <laughs> Even though I have allegiances, I keep finding myself basically like discrediting Roma wins. And there is a little bit of a feeling of the Empoli thing again, because 
Calgary have now kind of assumed Empoli's position of just routinely losing, and it almost feels like it doesn't count when you beat them. Um, but that aside, on the you know you've still got to go and do it. Um, on the Dybala thing, it you know it, it's it's sad and not good. Um, but when it happens in this sort of game where you got Lukaku scoring twice and he's scored a lot now in a short space of time, Belotti scored a very good goal. Hussein Awar scored from midfield. Um, I think that's his second now. There's, it feels a bit less. You know, you know that recurring theme last season of since you took Dybala out of the team, there was just no creativity yeah. or goal scoring whatsoever because you know Belotti didn't exist. Um, Abraham was out or ineffective, and the midfield was extremely functional. The people were not scoring goals from midfield. It does feel a little bit different now. There are a lot more attacking options in the team now, and there are players that are scoring goals that aren't Paolo Dybala. And you know, in the Europa League, I don't think Dybala played at all in the last Europa League game, and they won 4-0. Yes, weak opposition, but players were scoring goals. I, I, I don't think that reliance is as heavy anymore. There'd, there'd still be a better team with Dybala in it, but it's not quite as everything's ruined. Is it quite nice as well that both Bilotti and Lukaku scored after Dybala had gone off and both of them were assisted by Leandro Paredes as well, who looked good. Yeah, I think there are... I I maintain that even though they've had quite a bad start to the season, certainly domestically, this is a much better squad than last season. Um, And I think... I think... I hate speaking too soon when it's a team that I care about, but... It feels like to me it might be with Lukaku settling in, Belotti settling into a goes. rhythm he's where he's get carried away this <laughs> not where Belotti's scoring loads of goals, but he's scoring a healthy couple of goals every couple of weeks, whatever. Um, you know, he's he's chipping in. <laughs> and players from midfield are chipping in. Renato Sanchez looked really good until his injury, he'll come back. I I think it's levelling out into being better than last season. They're not going to challenge for the title, but they shouldn't be still down in 10th, which they are right now, within a few weeks' time. There was a lovely Mourinho moment as well, wasn't there, after the Europa League game? Remind me who the player was, because I can't remember. Um, D'Alessio. Is it Marco D'Alessio, I think he's called? Right. So, he was... Mourinho was basically doing his post-match press duties, and at one point, he just decided to, like, whistle over to the side and call someone over, to the point where I was like, oh, what's happening here? And then, this little child wanders over, and Mourinho starts talking about how or I think he just let him speak, didn't he? And he said when he was young, he used to come to the gates and try to get into the training centre and no coach ever opened the door. And then Mourinho came along and was like, but I opened the door today and I let all of the kids in to watch training, bloody, bloody, blah. And it's just, it was it was a beautiful moment. I really enjoyed it, both because it's Mourinho being Mourinho and there's quite a nice little sentimental story there with a Roma fan as a kid coming through, playing for the first team mm. in Europe. It's, it's quite nice. I would encourage everybody to head over to Roma's Twitter account and, and seek that one out. We missed a trick by not tweeting that, actually. But I did see somebody, I think it might have been Patrick Kendrick, quite quite rightly point out that Mourinho may not be at the top table tactically now or anything mm. you know, managerially, but nobody does that sort of thing mm. better than him. There isn't a coach who can do that. It's just very, very nice. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. It always reminds me of the when he does stuff like this. I think he was... Was he still Porto boss? It was Porto or Inter because he was wearing that big long jacket that I think he only wore at those two clubs. 
and he was walking out the tunnel for a Champions League game and there's the mascots on either side. And he's like walking down, high five and high five and high five and high five. And then there's one who's not looking and he goes up and like pokes him on the cheek or something. And then the mascot like turns around and goes, oh my God, it's Mourinho. And he just kind of smiles and, and ruffles his hair and wanders on. I do completely agree with the sentiment there. From Patrick via you, Ewan. Um, Lazio beat Atalanta 3-2 in what was a crazy game. Vito Lazio went 2-0 up, Atalanta came back and then Matthias Vecino popped up with a relatively late winner. Yeah, uh, quite a dramatic game. Uh, it was a bit funny to see the Catalare score her own goal like that, even though, you know, it's more unfortunate than comical, to be honest. But uh, And he could have scored a goal himself later on, so a bit of a shame for him. But in general, um, I think Lazio showed a bit more resilience than what they usually would this season. And I think one of the positives that Sari should take out of this game is that uh, Castellanos scored because and he was involved in uh, Vecino's winner. Mm. So I think that's a big plus going forward because unfortunately Chiro Immobile is really showing a bit of decline in his game and he was out injured for this game and he'll also be out for the international breaks. So I think Castellanos to do what he did today Hopefully, for his sake and Lazio's, this is a catalyst for better things to come. I think Lazio really do need to find an heir or replacement to Immobile here. And if if this can inspire Castellanos, the Aquila might be in better hands in the next few rounds, at least. You and, you and have a simple question for you. Explain Lazio, please, because I don't understand. Why on earth would I want to do that? Well, I don't I mean don't the obvious bits. <laughs> I mean, explain Lazio as a football team, please. Um, very odd one. I think they appear pretty dysfunctional, except for very brief moments where they look extremely functional. And that happened for about 20 minutes today, which is about the amount of the game that I saw before I turned it off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because they were looking functional. (laughs) And then I checked back later on and they'd clearly become less functional. Mm. Um, they, they've got very good moments within them not just like individual player moments very good team moments within them um, but they just cannot seem to do it even if they end up winning a game like they did today they cannot seem to do it over 90 minutes like that that game they won against Napoli seems to be possibly the only game of the entire season where you could say they played well it, it was a good overall 90 minute performance um, they're a very very odd bunch I just want to pat myself on the back because I think this might be the latest point at this season that I'll be able to say this, but my top three predictions at the start of the season, my top three teams were Milan, Juve, Inter. In fifth place, I had Napoli. In sixth place, I had Atalanta. And then I had Lazio as being the the worst of the big boys. So I don't suspect that to be true by the end of the season, all of that. But it's looking it's looking good for me now. And actually, you and I'll pat you on the back too. Because your top three is the same. Um, and you also had Atalanta in sixth and Lazio as being the worst of the big teams. So we're obviously the best. Oh, yeah. It's, there's no doubting how clever we are. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure we really deserve that much patting on the back for the top three of Milan, Inter and Juve. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly, but our necks on the chop, chopping block there. <laughs> yeah. Who are the, if you were to ask people who had never watched Italian football that before, they'd look it up and see that they're the three most yeah. successful teams. 
<laughs> yeah. But allow it to allow us to have it because we don't get much. We don't get much. Let's fly through no. the rest of the results, shall we? Because I've just realized we don't have that much time left. Um Sassuolo Lecce finished or Lecce Sassuolo rather finished one one. You and quite a predictable draw here. Yeah. This is the sort of game that you were you in a position where you were going to watch it. Um, you, you you might be able to convince yourself that it'd be a really interesting game, but then they're the games that never are when you actually come down to it. <laughs> Absolutely right. That was very very swift. <laughs> um, we do need to talk about Bologna a little bit more, but we don't have time, so we'll do that on the bonus podcast during the week. And I think we need to talk about Frozenoni as well. Um, they beat Verona 2-1, Empoli Udinese was scoreless as we said at the top and Monza Salernitana finished 3-0 still not comfortable with seeing Papa Gomez playing for Monza by the way but I'm I'm coming round to the fact that he's back in Italy but I'm it still looked not, weird it, I don't like him wearing red, even when he was at Sevilla I preferred seeing him in the white home shirt I don't like seeing him wear red, it upsets me i got to say Monza are good right. like they're, they're a very get, tidy football team get a grip. Of no, him. I don't like the club, but Palladino is a very good coach. He's a good coach, um, but they'll finish twelfth. And Copani is <laughs> a very good player. He scored a very another very nice goal. Mm. They, they, I think they're they, they they look like they should finish potentially in the top half, like tenth, tenth, ninth, eighth, twelfth. <laughs> and Sassuolo will be thirteenth. Like it's happening. Oh, yeah. It's happening. And Udinese will finish fifteenth, even though they're rubbish but anyway yeah. i think we'll we'll call it there um you and i will be recording the seria femenile podcast tomorrow monday morning and then we'll do the bonus podcast at some point during the week so if you want to listen to those things it's patreon.com slash total italian football where you can sign up for as little as two euro a month you and how much two two as little as two yeah but please get five because that's reasonable um but anyway that will do we will be back in midweek to speak to you if you're not a patron we'll speak to you after the international break Vito say goodbye goodbye Bernsey bye goodbye Tifosi Viola e il vostro amico Baglini che insieme a Narciso Parigi vi invita ad aiutarci con tutto il vostro entusiasmo a sostenere la nostra squadra nei momenti favorevoli o no per condurla a sempre maggiori successi Garrisca al vento il lavaro viola sui campi della sfida e del valore una speranza viva ci consola abbiamo un atleti e un solo cuore oh Vessillo scrivi forza e cuore e nostra sarà sempre la vittoria.
Chicago.